This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we challenge the typical understanding of the voice of Isaiah, taking a look at the servant discourse in chapters 40 through 54. Yeah. Third Isaiah. Third Isaiah. Third Isaiah. Third of four Isaiahs. Third of four. we'll be talking about this time around. Talked about two. So I'm completely in the dark at this point because every past time I've been through your class... There have only been three Isaiahs. I know. Breaking new ground. So, Breaking new Bema ground. I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah. No, I, I uh, continue to study this stuff and um, especially just reading through some of, I think it began as I read through uh, Walter Brueggemann's Out of Babylon and just the more I look at different notes and articles and different things like that and the more I just look at Isaiah itself, I'm sold. I'm sold on a fourth voice. Um and uh, we'll talk more about that in the next podcast. We're going to talk about 4th Isaiah. We're going to kind of mess up our table. We gave a table back when we began with the prophets. And I'm going to kind of mess up the order, but it's okay. We are wrapping up the exilic prophets today. And uh, I definitely have started distinguishing between 3rd Isaiah and 4th Isaiah. So you already said it in the intro, but 3rd Isaiah, I'm going to call chapters 40 through 54. 40 through 54. And we already recommended it, but throw it out there again. Once we get into this period of discussion, this is where I would really recommend a book like Out of Babylon by Walter Brueggemann. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, but uh, I had some, I've had some listeners get the book and try to read it. And they were like, oh my goodness, this is so heady and academic. Um, and that that is okay, but a fair warning out there. It's not light reading, um, but it's just super good from somebody who's uh, a scholar and a thinker um, and has written about this period of prophetic history. That book was just super good and will play a big part at the really kind of the beginning of session three. You could say the end of session two, but I think I'm going to hold a conversation uh, that I was going to put at the end of session two, and we're going to hold it for a few podcasts into session three um, just to make it land perfectly. But that book will be a great read as we get closer and closer and closer to that. So um, really helped shape uh, a lot of my understanding and, uh, and and whatnot when it came to this period of history. So obviously this is a section of Isaiah where we have a really famous chapter. What's the famous chapter that shows up in this section of Isaiah. Isaiah 53. Everybody everybody will recognize it, even if they don't know, yeah. know it by the reference. Absolutely. It is the famous, what we call the suffering servant passage. And and we connect it, obviously, to Jesus. Go ahead and you have a little excerpt. The whole chapter is, I think we would say, famous. It's going to be well known. But uh, grab the, the section right at the beginning there of Isaiah 53, Brent. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. All right, so here's this passage we've definitely probably heard before, if we've been a part of the Jesus conversation for some time. Um, and I don't want to take away from this, when we read Isaiah 53, 
if we are followers of Jesus on this side of, of history, this side of Jesus. We, of course, see Jesus in Isaiah 53. I don't know how you couldn't um, for people that assume that part of the story, but definitely pointing to, alluding to uh, this this Jesus story that we're so familiar with. So let's just pause and let Marty say, absolutely, we're going to find Jesus in Isaiah 53. I'm just going to let that sink in because at that point we're going to move on because I want to say that was not the primary point of Isaiah 53 when it was written. Without a doubt, I find Jesus in Isaiah 53. And I think we find Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament. Sure. Because the way Jesus lived was to perfectly portray what God has been doing the entire time in Scripture. Exactly. And so we're going to see him everywhere. Absolutely. And you just worded it exactly the right way. The way Christians usually talk about it is backwards, at least for a Jewish mind, and can be incredibly offensive. And that is, everything in the Old Testament points towards Jesus, which is totally the backwards way to say it. Because what it what it then portrays or what it insinuates is, well, that whole story was kind of pointless unless you have Jesus. It was all here to point towards something, which I got to tell you, as a, as a Jewish believer and as somebody who follows Jesus from a Jewish perspective, uh, nothing could be more backwards. And, and, and I understand the heart with which it's said. Most Jewish listeners couldn't be more offended by that statement. I would argue the proper way is what you said. And go ahead and say it again, Brent. And Jesus lived his life in a way that portrayed what scripture and what God has been doing yes. for all of eternity. Absolutely. So Jesus's life, it's not that the Old Testament points towards Jesus's life. It's that Jesus's life points back and totally validates everything in what we would call the Old Testament in Tanakh. It, it's not that Tanakh points towards Jesus. It's that Jesus points toward Tanakh and says, I'm going to live this out perfectly. You're going to see, you pick your passage. I'm living it out appropriately. You pick your book, pick, I would even argue things like Joshua, pick uh, Hosea, pick whatever you want to do. And I'm going to live out the message, the heart, the word, logos, we're not to session three yet, but I'm going to live that word out as purely and as perfectly and as accurately as any interpretation that you could engage in. And so you said that perfectly. Um, and we usually say it a little backwards. So enough of that about that rant, but it's a connected rant. It's a connected rant because it's the same principle here when we read Isaiah 53 and we immediately think, oh, that's pointing towards Jesus. Okay. Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of Isaiah 53 without a doubt. But when Isaiah 53 was written, Isaiah was not writing about Jesus. Um, I mean, to just think that one through critically, you would have to realize that these prophets are writing about things and they're like, I have no idea what I'm writing about. I'm just making up things as I go along, but I have no idea how they're, or they would have to like literally foresee this Jewish rabbi named Jesus and the way that that's not what Isaiah is doing. So let's pull that apart and make that case more than just Marty's opinion. Let's really show what's happening because most of the time we talk about Isaiah 53 it will be used as this, boy, that's the linchpin passage for, for Jews. Like, no Jew could argue with Isaiah 53. How could, any, how could any Jew not see Jesus in Isaiah 53? Well, they could not see Jesus in Isaiah 53 because they know how to read their Bibles. And they're not going to let Genesis, 
Genesis, listen to me. They're not going to let Isaiah 53 stand on its own in a vacuum. Isaiah 53 is a part of a much larger discourse. It comes after Isaiah 52. It comes before Isaiah 54. It is it is a part of a much larger conversation, and Jews see it as such. Now, Third Isaiah, chapters 40 through 54, are a part of a large discourse that I'm going to call the servant discourse. In fact, servant is going to be the image when we review Third uh, Isaiah. We're going to say Third Isaiah, and our listeners are going to think servant. Third uh, Isaiah. Isaiah 40 through 54 is the servant discourse. I don't mean to insinuate that it's one continuous discourse. It is all kinds of it. It's coming in and going out and the voice is is starting and stopping and there's chunks and all of this stuff that are undeniable as you look at it. But the whole discourse itself follows one thematic string, and that is a string of uh, the theme of servant. And so third Isaiah starts with that famous chapter in uh, Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, tell her uh, that her sins have been paid for, that she has received from the Lord double for all of her sins. The voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every mountain uh, brought down and every valley raised up, the rugged places made smooth and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So to review where we've been, first Isaiah, what was the image that we had, Brent? A vineyard. Vineyard. And then second Isaiah, and so we had this first part of Isaiah and the first verse of Isaiah said, "Here's, here's what you've done wrong. You have not cared the vineyard of God is not producing fruit because you have not cared for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Which led into the next period of history and second Isaiah, which the image was what? Whoa. Whoa. Because, uh, because nobody, not just God's people, there, there seemed to be nobody at this point in history caring for others, looking out for the marginalized and the oppressed. God is trying to make things right in the world. And so woes are being slung out and, and pronounced on people group after people group after people group. But now Babylon has come. We're in what period of history? With third Isaiah? Yeah. Exilic. Exilic, right? And so we're in the exile. Babylon has come. They've conquered. They've taken you off to exile. And now the tone completely changes. Comfort, comfort my people. Your lives have been destroyed. We talked about hope before. There's going to be more hope coming with fourth Isaiah. But the tone of Isaiah changes from warning and condemnation, from woes to now There's a, as you sit in exile and struggle to persevere, I want to pronounce comfort, comfort on you. There's something going on here, but that something is very specific. So we've picked some passages here to try to show you that this servant idea has started long before Isaiah 53. God starts talking or or Isaiah or however you want to think about that. The author here starts talking about a servant. So you have... Isaiah 41. Go ahead and give us our reference for that. So starting in verse 8, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. Okay, I'm going to interrupt you right off the bat. So we've got Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. You said the first verse there is which verse? Uh, We're starting in verse 8. Okay, so 41 verse 8. Very, very clearly, Brent, as you look at that, who is the servant? Israel. Israel. Or 
who has been chosen? Jacob. Jacob. And Israel and Jacob are very direct references to? The entire nation. Yeah, God's people, right? So the servant is really clearly in Isaiah 41, who? Uh, Jacob. Yeah, God's people, right? God's people are his servant. Go go ahead and finish that passage off. Start at the top again. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All right, so this passage, there's there's no argument here. The servant here in Isaiah 41 is God's people. He says, you descendants of Abraham, I chose you, I called you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you, so do not fear. So, so the people of God are his servant. And he goes back to the beginning of the story, referencing, I believe, all the way back there in the desert where the narrative begins, Bema session one. And he, and he says, you were my servant. I chose you. I was looking for partners. We said the word for Torah. If we were to sum up Torah in one word, what would we say, Brent? In a single word was yeah. partners. Partner, right? Yeah. God, God goes back to Torah and, and, and I was looking for a partner and I found you. You are my servant. Okay. And then let's see, you got something from Isaiah 43? Yeah, 43 also starting in verse 8. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say, It is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no god was formed, nor will there be one after me. Uh, what was that verse there, Brent? You are my, what number? You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. That's verse 10. Verse 10, 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Uh, Again, this is a discourse. It started in 40. We read an excerpt for 41. We just read an excerpt from 43. This is the consistent thematic the string, the theme that is flowing throughout Third Isaiah. You have another one from Isaiah 44. Yeah, starting right at the top. But now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Yeshurun, whom I have chosen. All right. So now we have, again, another chapter where Jacob is identified as the servant. Israel, the one he has chosen. Again, do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. So, I mean, chapter after chapter, and these are just a few examples we pulled out. You can do this. Read it yourself. Go back. Make sure Marty's not cherry-picking verses. Read Isaiah 40, and then 41, 42, 43, 44. You're going to notice that this theme, this is the servant discourse. God is speaking to his people as his servant. You are my people. You are my partner, People always say, well, if this is Israel, how come the servant is a he, singular he? Because that is the metaphor. You are my servant, Jacob. My people, Israel, whom I have chosen. You are my servant, singular. And so this is the image that gets played over and over and over again. When you get to Isaiah 53, you're going to have to explain to me why all of a sudden it changes out of nowhere. And obviously, once you get there, if you do your contextual work, you realize it's not changing. The message of Isaiah 53 
is that God, the reason you're sitting in exile, God says, is because I was looking for a partner. And first Isaiah already dealt with what we did wrong. But we lost the plot of the story. And so now you sit in exile, suffering. And if you will suffer, and if you will persevere, your children will be a part of a different day. Because Isaiah, can you go back to Isaiah? Do you still have your Isaiah 53? Sure do. Let's, let's read Isaiah 53. And this time, instead of looking for and hearing Jesus, let's think of Isaiah 41. 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46. Let's think of this whole discourse that keeps saying, you, Jacob, you, Israel, are my servant. And let's try to hear it through these, this lens. Go ahead and read Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Okay, so as we get started here, this is the culmination. Remember I said that it was chapters what through what? Third Isaiah? 40 through 54. 40 through 54, and this is 53. So we are now like, we're hitting the the summit, the peak, the climax of this voice of third Isaiah. So you are my servant, the servant I've chosen. You are my partner. You are my servant. You are my chosen one. You are my, this is the discourse. And it's it's now peaking at Isaiah 53, where the author looks back and he says, who would have chosen us? Who, who would have desired us? Like we grew up like a tender shoot before the Lord. Nobody would have looked at, at, our, at our beginnings and said, well, this is the making of something awesome. Lowly slaves Lowly in Egypt. Lowly slaves in Egypt. Okay, keep going. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. All right, so we have done wrong. First Isaiah and second Isaiah were clear on that. We have iniquity. We have sin. I don't mean, I mean, it is true. We as in Brent and Marty, but I mean, we as the original audience of third Isaiah, centuries and centuries and centuries ago, we listen to third Isaiah and we say, yeah, we were supposed to be God's servant, but we had all of this sin and all this iniquity, but this servant was then taken to Babylon And the servant was then punished, pierced, striped, crushed, and he was crushed because of our iniquities. But because this servant perseveres, because this servant suffers in Babylon, but comes out on the other side, we are healed, the chapter will go on to say. And the chapter will continue to talk about this healing and this restoration Because you are my servant, God says, you are my servant, you are my servant, you have to endure this exile, you have to endure what I have for you here in Babylon, because if you suffer, your children and the generations that come after you will be healed. And sometimes it's kind of hard to follow the language because it's like, he was pierced for our transgressions, right. but the he and the are are both referring to the same group right? in, right. in some you know various right. ways. And this voice is... Stepping back as the servant discourse comes to a close and says, if we are his servant, let us look at the servant almost like a, almost like an out-of-body experience. This hovering observer that says, 
well, this this is why we're here. And some people, it, I mean, obviously, because of what you're bringing up, some have even argued for a later date uh, to the third voice, because it's almost like people are looking back, not in the exile, but long after the exile, trying to explain what was that exile all about? Like, why did we have to go off and suffer? And Isaiah 53 gives this explanation for why. I won't try to figure out where to date it, but what you bring up there definitely almost makes a case that that chapter, and, and see, this is where a lot of people argue, how many different authors, how many different pieces here? Is there really just four voices? Are there voices upon voices upon voices? But that's one of those reasons that they bring that up. And I think maybe another contextual thing that's good to remember at this point is that uh, when when the Jews read scripture, they consider themselves as part of the story. Absolutely. So it's not those Jews were back in Egypt and right. we're here now. It's we were in Egypt. Yes. Absolutely. You know, we, you know, whatever we did, even if it was our parents or grandparents or whoever who caused the problems that landed us in Babylon, we did it. Right. Absolutely. Yep. We were, we were there. We were all, it's always a communal story. Absolutely. So let's close by jumping back to Jesus. But now we're jumping to Jesus at the appropriate point from the appropriate perspective. If that was the primary understanding of third Isaiah, if third Isaiah and the voice of third Isaiah is supposed to speak to a people in exile and say, this is why you're suffering so that other people can be healed. This is our story. This is our narrative. This is our lot. But if we'll suffer well and persevere, then, then we will find healing. Okay. If that's the primary point, now jump forward to Jesus. Think about the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And now we see exactly what you were saying earlier in the podcast, Brent, which is Jesus shows us how to live out Isaiah 53 perfectly. His whole life was about suffering on behalf of other sins so that other people could receive healing. Like, of course, now when you read Isaiah 53, you'll see Jesus, but not because Isaiah 53 pointed towards Jesus, but because Jesus pointed back and said, you know what you were called? You know what we were all called to do in Isaiah 53? Let me show you in my life, death, and resurrection exactly how to do that. And now it's not just about something that Jesus did. And this is why this is so important. I mean, how many times have we read Isaiah 53, Brent, and thought, Oh, yeah, that's pointing towards Jesus. I'm so glad that Jesus did it so that I don't have to. But that's the exact opposite point of Isaiah 53 and the exact opposite point of what Jesus would live and die for. Not so that we wouldn't have to, but Hebrews, now I'm way ahead of myself, like Bema session four. But Hebrews is going to tell us this is Jesus showing us how to do. He's showing us how to suffer. He's showing us how to, not so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus didn't suffer so that I didn't have to. Jesus suffered so that I could experience healing and know how to suffer as well, to know how to suffer on behalf of others. If I can learn how to suffer like Jesus suffered, well, then others might find healing too. And all of a sudden, this isn't a passage about just something Jesus did. It's a passage about something that I'm invited to partake in as well. Like, this is not a passage just about one rabbi 2,000 years ago. This is a passage that one rabbi 2,000 years ago made, brought beautiful clarity to. But God's people before that moment and God's people after that moment 
have to see the invitation of Isaiah to say, sometimes you're called to suffer. And sometimes you're called to be a partner. And sometimes you're called to be a servant, even a suffering servant. But we do that so that other people can find the hope, which is where we're going to head next time. We all like hope. We like hope. It's good. We don't like the suffering part. Yeah. And the Greek, like, individualistic thinking that we all have makes it really hard to put ourselves into the story. Sure it does. Yeah. We always like to look at it as an observer, as an abstract. We hold it as an abstract thing rather than entering into it as a participant. A lot of this stuff is very challenging because you, you know, you grow up thinking one way and you're like, oh, there's this completely different perspective on the world that I'm not even aware of. And it's really hard to get out of the rut Right. Of how you've always thought. Yeah. At least that's, that's, I mean, years into it, it's still like, it's so hard to step back from Isaiah 53 and, and not just see Jesus and see nothing else. Right. It's really hard. So, you know, if you're out there and you're like, man, I can't wrap my mind around this. Like, don't beat yourself up over it. Like it takes years. Right. You're, you're changing everything about how you think. Yep. So Absolutely. that's why we advocate for discussion groups. Ah, How's discussion that for a groups. Great segue. <laughs> So get in a discussion group, wrestle with this stuff, like tear every sentence apart and like, how, how is this seen in Israel at the time in exile and, and figure it out, you know, yeah, take absolutely. it a step at a time. Absolutely. Uh, if you have any other questions, you can get a hold of Marty on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. And of course you can find more details about the show at com. So thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>